How did we end up here? What do you hope to achieve, Mark? I want to be the best in the world. Hater's gonna hate. Hater's gonna hate. Hey, get you! You don't know if she has friends, you don't know what she does all day, and you don't know your wife's blood type. God, yeah! That's awesome! <laughs> Coming back. When? Will you follow me one last time? Welcome to Aspect Radio. I am Ben Flanagan. Joining me on the phone is my co-host, Corey Kraft. Corey, it's time to break down fall 2014, this movie season, which seems jam-packed with movies from some of our favorite directors like David Fincher, Christopher Nolan, Paul Thomas Anderson, and many, many others. But this thing kicks into high gear this week, starting with that David Fincher movie. And we're just going to run through each week leading up to the winter. So this is sort of a fall and winter preview, as it were. But Corey, let's start with this week. On Friday, David Fincher's new movie, Gone Girl, based on Gillian Flynn's novel, written by Gillian Flynn, who adapted her own book. It comes out really Thursday night, but on Friday, wide. A brand new David Fincher movie, always something to get pumped about. Well, I mean, you know, you mentioned Fincher, Nolan, and, and Anderson in your intro. I feel like if the fall were completely devoid of film releases, with exception of the of films from those three gentlemen, we come away from it pretty satisfied. I know that Gone Girl is a film I've been looking forward to for some time. I've read the novel. You haven't read it, have you? No, I haven't. I tend to avoid books that are being made into movies, and really books in general, Corey. <laughs> well, you know, reading that novel, it's pretty apparent to me how David Fincher is going to treat it, and I'm very excited to see it by all accounts from the New York Film Festival and from early uh, reviews from various critics. He's knocking it out of the park. Not that you expect anything less from David Fincher every time he comes up to the plate, but, you know, again, this is probably one of my personal most anticipated films of the fall, and looking forward to it a great deal. Got a great cast, uh, a great score. I don't know if you've listened to any of it by, once again, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, and uh, it just looks, you know, like a great movie for grown-ups since they're finally coming out again. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm a big Fincher fan. I, we tweeted from the Aspect Radio Twitter account at Aspect Radio the David Fincher movies that we each ranked. I believe the nine movies of his that we've seen in, in Gone Girl will make his tenth feature film. But I think we mostly see eye to eye on David Fincher. I know that we like and dislike some of each other's favorites, I guess, more so than others. I mean, we, we differ yeah. on Zodiac. We differ on Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. But for the most part, I think we can agree on the the big ones in the work that this guy has done and and he's really hit a stride it seems here since the mid part of the last decade up to now still sort of riding that social network momentum and again I was a big fan of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo even though I know that it was kind of a disappointment for you but I know that you're a big fan of this novel and for him to sort of stay with the mystery procedural format and narrative here I couldn't be happier he seems to be very comfortable with it and the interesting sort of part of this, I guess, is that Flynn is the screenwriter and is adapting her own book. And I can't recall, you know, of any instances where this has necessarily been a problem in the past, Corey, if you can come up with any or any that stick out to you where it has worked out. Do you think it's unusual? Is it ever a red flag for you? Or not necessarily a red flag, but does a light go off when you see that a novelist is writing their own novel into a movie? I'm having trouble thinking of too many other examples, at least of film adaptations of books I've already read, it doesn't really raise any flags because you hope that the novelist is certainly going to pare down his or her work to the heart of the thing and, and hopefully make it filmic. The problem is novelists don't always have an idea of what makes their work filmic in the best way. So, you know, a good case in point is anything that, that Stephen King has ever adapted, though generally speaking, that's more television miniseries than feature films. In any case, though, if Gone Girl, the novel, has a very interesting structure that Flynn, by all accounts, has translated to the big screen. And I suppose that if anybody was the person to do it, it would be the novelist herself. And I, I think we're in for something really interesting. I think we're in for something uh, a lot of fun, if the novel's any indication. And by all accounts, she hasn't strayed too far from her source material. Who are you? A, I'm an award-winning scrimshander. B, I'm a moderately influential warlord. Hmm. 
see, I write personality quizzes for magazines. Okay. Well, your hands are far too delicate for real scrimshaw work. And I happen to be a charter subscriber to Middling Warlord Weekly, so I recognize you. I'm gonna go with C. And you? Who are you? I'm the guy to save you from all this awesomeness. Corey, I want to move on to the next week, even though something like this horror movie from John Leonetti, Annabelle, is getting a little traction via social media that I've seen a lot of people remark about its scary trailer. And I saw it the other day when I saw Kevin Smith's Tusk. And we'll see if that registers with anybody, especially horror fanatics. But moving on to October 10th, Corey, there are a couple of movies that I don't know if by the end of the year they're going to be ones that people are talking about, but you have a Disney movie based on a beloved book by me and I'm sure many people our age, this book called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And I think people who are very familiar with that book and are fond of it are going to be perplexed as to how they made this movie and why it wound up looking like it does. And it stars Steve Carell and Jennifer Garner as parents of Alexander. To make a feature-length movie out of a short children's book like that is always a challenge, but I gotta say, as somebody who's a big fan, and I'm talking as the seven-year-old inside me, Corey, and, and the person who was a fan of that book at the time, I can't say I'm very excited about it. For me, it's the second major high-profile literary adaptation of The Fall After Gone Girl. <laughs> we differ in that order, uh, then. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it looks like Disney got their claws in Steve Carell, and this is what happened. Yeah, that's too bad. And Warner Brothers seems to have its claws in Robert Downey Jr. and his co-star Robert Duvall in David Dobkin's movie The Judge, which opens the same weekend. And Corey, I have a feeling that you share the opinion that this one just looks kind of like an anonymously made just studio courtroom drama that is just going to come and go. It does. The name David Dobson is a pretty big red flag, though I'll watch Downey and Robert Duvall in a, in a lot of stuff. The one sort of interesting element of this very, very studio-looking drama is Yannick Kaminsky serving as cinematographer, so at the very least it might look good, but... I probably won't rush out to find out for myself, at least immediately. Yeah, and that same weekend, Corey, I'm sure getting a limited release, I doubt it'll come here in in Alabama anytime soon, unless I'm just totally mistaken, is this film Kill the Messenger, which would be the most interesting movie to come out on October 10th. But it's directed by longtime veteran TV director Michael Cuesta, whose name you might recognize on shows like Homeland and Dexter and Six Feet Under, and it stars Jeremy Renner as a, a journalist who, gets wrapped up in all sorts of conspiracy involving CIA and drug cartels and whatnot. And I've seen the trailer for this, and out of these three this weekend, it looks like the most interesting, but it's just one of those that I think is going to get sort of lost in the fold. Well, it certainly appears to be destined for that, unless it really finds an audience. Michael Cuesta is also a very accomplished feature film director, though nobody ever seems to have seen his movies. He worked with a young Paul Danner and, and Brian Cox in this very harrowing drama, L.I.E., for example, and then this indie drama, 12 and Holding, about um, some troubled kids, uh, is very, very good. You know, Michael Cuesta actually parlaying some of that homeland experience into what appears to be a pretty compelling political drama that's unfortunately coming out right around the same time as a million other prestige products. We talked about this over the summer, how there's, especially this year, just this major logjam of big $200 million budgeted summer blockbusters. And we're heading into the season where inevitably we're going to have a logjam of prestige films that their distributors are hoping are destined for Oscar glory that invariably just cannibalize one another. You know, Kill the Messenger, as good as it looks, it's got a great cast. You know, I love seeing Jeremy Renner actually doing things in movies. You know, would this not have just as easily found an audience or perhaps more successfully found an audience in April, in June? You know, I don't know. But um, this is the world we're living in, and, and I'm excited to see this movie whenever it actually comes out around here. 
Yeah, for sure. And we might have to wait for DVD or Birmingham or whatever. But I like Jeremy Renner as an actor. I think he, he has done a lot of good work so far. I think Hollywood is still trying to figure out precisely how to use him. He had a really good performance over the summer in Louis C.K.'s show Louis on a very interesting, long episode Jeremy Renner's got a lot of talent. He seems like a guy who's perfectly capable of carrying a movie like this, and Cuesta is a guy to keep an eye on for sure. But like you said, you wish that this got more attention perhaps in a different season and within such a jam-packed fall. Face it, Dad. You are doing this because you want to feel relevant again. Well, guess what? There is an entire world out there where people fight to be relevant, and you act like it doesn't exist. You hate bloggers. You mock Twitter. You don't even have a Facebook page. You're the one who doesn't exist. The next weekend, Corey, is pretty loaded in terms of what is scheduled to release. You've got the Sony World War II action movie Fury, starring Brad Pitt, Logan Lerman, Michael Pena, and Shia LaBeouf. You've got Fox's animated movie The Book of Life, which has a a really great look and and a colorful cast for sure. But I think the one that we're clued in on right now is Fox Searchlight's already critically acclaimed possible Oscar contender Birdman starring Michael Keaton, Edward Norton, Emma Stone, and and several others. And you and I have perhaps talked about Birdman a little on and off mic, and this one is certainly on the radars of most people this year, not only as Inaritu's latest movie, even though I know you're not a huge fan of his work to date, but this comeback it seems being made by Michael Keaton in this dramatic arena in at least on a stage that we haven't quite seen him on since the late 90s or mid to late 90s for that matter so your level of anticipation after what you've heard from festivals lately your level of anticipation of Birdman so far it's pretty high and I never thought I would say that about an Alejandro Gonzalez movie again after sort of the disappointing returns of things like uh, 21 Grams of Babel and Beautiful for me. Those are all movies that everybody else seems to really like. But Birdman, playing as it does in the sort of meta Hollywood satire realm, and apparently also being incredibly technically accomplished with sort of a long take style, um, or at least edited to appear in mostly long takes by Inuritu and uh, cinematographer Emmanuel Lubeski, who had some practice with that in Gravity, that really appeals to me, along with just seeing Michael Keaton do his thing. You know, he's popped up in recent years in supporting roles. He comes to mind in, in something like the Adam McKay movie, The Other Guys, as, as almost very, you know, very quietly almost stealing the show there. And it is really exciting to, to see him do his thing again. And, and um, this appears to be one hell of an opportunity to do so surrounded by a very talented supporting cast and really great spotlight to remind everybody that this guy probably deserved a little better than he got. Absolutely. I I personally have been waiting for a Michael Keaton comeback, and like you said, it was good to see him in movies like the other guys and even in something like RoboCop, but he deserved better. He always deserved uh, more following the the mid-90s when something like multiplicity didn't really connect with people like I think a lot of people thought it would, and it it was nice to see him pop up in Jackie Brown and Out of Sight, but I personally missed Michael Keaton and and wanted to see him in more movies, and it was sad to see him go away in the way that he did and, and, and make the kind of movies that he made. He always seemed so talented and talented enough, certainly, to, to carry a movie like this and, and to contend for Oscars and, and work with great directors, more importantly. So I, I'm really excited about it. It looks really interesting, to say the least, and if nothing else, it seems like one of the most original pieces of filmmaking to come out so far this year, strictly based on the market. One more film this weekend, October, I guess we're on October 17th, heading into nationwide release, including the Birmingham market, which has been confirmed, is the latest film from Jason Reitman, Men, Women, and Children. And I I want to talk about that for a minute, because Reitman has had uh, not a great year. And we talked about this, I think, mostly off mic. Uh, You are a much bigger fan of his latest film, Labor Day, uh, this romantic movie. melodrama that came out earlier this year with with, uh, Josh Brolin and Kate Winslet, Uh, and now he's taking some more licks with this latest ensemble drama, a cautionary tale about the dangers of the internet, apparently, 
and its effect on on families. Have you seen the trailer for this? And, and if so, how do you think this looks? Yeah, I've seen the trailer. It's an interesting trailer for sure because I think it's largely, if not totally, silent under music that Reitman has cut over it, and it seems to have an interesting cast in Rosemary DeWitt and Adam Sandler and Judy Greer, Jennifer Garner, among others, and it comes across as Jason Reitman doing Todd Salons in a way where it kind of seems like sort of a, a watered-down version of that. It's hard for me not to give Jason Reitman the benefit of the doubt because I think every movie he's made has been at least good, if not very good. And yes, I was a big fan of Labor Day, and I don't know if that has more to do with tempered expectations for it based on the fact that the idea and kind of movie that it was just on the surface lowered people's expectations about it based on the work that we had seen from Jason Reitman up to that point and how different it seemed. But I give him credit for trying something different, and this seems much different from stuff like Thank You for Smoking and Juno and even Up in the Air, it seems a little more serious and seems like he uh, is is going for something sort of out of the realm of what we're used to from him. And again, he deserves credit for that unto itself, but the movie obviously has to deliver. And I'm surprised, Corey, that this is getting the, the release that it's getting or that it doesn't really have the buzz that we're used to from a Jason Reitman movie that's close to being in theaters soon. Well, I, I think, again, it, it just sort of got beat up at the Toronto International Film Festival largely dismissed by critics. I can't really get a handle on, on Reitman as a director anymore. I thought I knew where, what sort of director he was, and then he went from delivering his, his best film, which was Young Adult, in my opinion, to what I think is his worst film, which is Labor Day, and, and now he's returning with this. I think describing it as watered-down and Todd Salons is a pretty good way to look at it based on everything I've, I've read about it and heard about it, and by all accounts, emphasis on the watered-down part. But we'll see. You know, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I like a lot of his movies quite a bit, and I like, um, yeah, you know, particularly young adult. I mean, anybody who makes a movie that, that trenchant and, and, uh, and dark has earned something of a pass for me. Hopefully he doesn't squander it repeatedly with bad movies. But, you know, he seems like a smart guy, a smart filmmaker, and he seems like the sort of guy who's willing to try new things, and if they don't work, well, he just moves on to the next thing. So well, his, his batting maybe average... Works, maybe it doesn't. Yeah, his batting average to me is just too good not to keep giving him chances right now. I mean, if he wanders down the path that you seem to think that he is right now and keeps doing that, then, you know, maybe it's time to avoid the movies or not necessarily ignore, but not pay as much attention to them as you know we once had when he came so strong out of the gate and just kept making good stuff but for me he's a hundred percent and delivering good stuff and that includes labor day and i liked every movie leading up to that i love juno yeah i really like up in the air i really like thank you for smoking and like you said young adult is really good again i just i've got no reason not to be excited about a new jason reitman movie as odd as it seems in the marketing and i don't necessarily understand it and i don't understand the choices he makes but having listened to recent interviews with him i I'd emphasized the interview he did with mark Marin not too long ago the same week he did one with his dad it was interesting to hear him talk about his career and its trajectory at this point and where he's going following sort of the not disaster but it's hard to say failure too especially because i like the movie but of what happened with labor day and, and where he goes from there it's interesting to see how he'll rebound in the eyes of his fans who weren't pleased with that i was sleeping thanks for that all right, let's go. I'm gonna make dinner, you can do homework. Oh, I already ate. Stop mowing, you're mowing dirt, let's go. He's fed, the homework's checked. I've done my job, I'm taking a break. Why is he mowing your dirt patch? Oh yeah, he's paying me hourly. I'm showing him how the world works. You work, you get paid, you drink. Are you drinking alcohol? I honestly don't remember. The next week, we've got a Weinstein Company release, St. Vincent, starring Bill Murray and Melissa McCarthy. And it's always, you know, a big deal to many people when Bill Murray has a, you know, releases a movie that he's starring in and not just cameoing in or briefly in. But based on this first trailer, Corey, I don't know how you feel, but I'm personally not super excited about this one and can't guarantee that I'll see it in a theater. The trailer's not great, but I would probably include myself in the number of those who are generally pretty excited 
when Bill Murray to take the starring role. So I probably will see this in a theater. Optimistically hoping that the Weinstein Company's completely bland trailer marketing machine is misrepresenting what is a better movie than they seem to promote. This is somewhat of a tangent, but it jumps to mind after seeing trailers for St. Vincent and uh, Tim Burton's newest film, Big Eyes, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. These are terrible trailers, to, to a point, all from the Weinstein Company. I don't know that they are particularly adept at making their unusual movies seem interesting and palatable to a wider audience, because it just seems like they want to water it down and make it just lowest common denominator pablum, or, or at least make it appear to be that. So I'm crossing my fingers that St. Vincent is just misrepresented, because it's I will be seeing it, and I'm hoping for the best. Corey, on November 6th, we see the release of a couple of big ones this year. One really big one in Christopher Nolan's latest, the Paramount release, Interstellar, starring Matthew McConaughey, Jessica Chastain, Michael Caine, and many, many others. And you've also got the latest J.C. Shandor movie, A Most Violent Year, starring Oscar Isaac as well as Jessica Chastain again. But the big story here is Interstellar. We're huge fans of Christopher Nolan. I'm personally a huge fan of his non-Batman movies like The Prestige and Inception. And this one, based on the last trailer and all the trailers so far, this one looks great. This big-time space adventure. And we're in the thick of this reconnaissance, so to speak. Matthew McConaughey is just as hot as ever as an actor. So we'll see where he can go here now that he's in a Christopher Nolan movie, see if he can keep it going. But are you as pumped for this as you were when you heard it was coming out? Yeah, I mean, what can you say? about it. It's the new Christopher Nolan movies playing so many elements of the plot close to the vest and it's fine but there just comes a point where you don't even have to see any more promotional material for it. I, I don't need to see another frame of this film because it's not as if I'm not going to be there opening night, you know, ready for whatever. Are you an angel? You're not dead. Help me. Would you help me? For God's sake? Suppose I do. What will you do for me? Anything, anything, God is my witness. If I cut you down, will you do what I tell you to? Hell yes, I will, swear to God. Swear to it? I swear. Swear to that almighty God you've been talking about? Uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and bring it in the sheaves, and do unto others, and if you cut me down from this goddamn tree, I'll do anything you tell me to, I swear on God's holy name. On November 7th, Corey, there are several movies to keep an eye on. I don't know if these are all going to go wide. I mean, obviously, you've got Disney's Big Hero 6 that will go wide, but there is a trio of movies that could be in contention come awards season. Maybe not, but either way, they come from interesting filmmakers or feature interesting performances, starting with The Theory of Everything, with Eddie Redmayne playing Stephen Hawking, which I'm sure will gain traction come awards season time. And then you have John Stewart's feature debut, Rosewater, starring Gail Garcia Bernal, that is based on true events of a journalist that was imprisoned. And then you also have Tommy Lee Jones' latest movie, The Homesman, which I think, based on the trailer that I saw, looks fantastic. And I've heard some good things about it. It stars Hilary Swank, Tommy Lee Jones, and a handful of others. Out of those, Corey, which one are you most excited about? Out of those, I agree with you. The Homesman is my choice uh, as a big fan of Jones' directorial debut, The Three Burials of Melchiatus Estrada from 2005. That was a very underrated, underseen Western, and to have him returning to that genre, uh, both in front of and behind the camera, is really exciting. I think the trailer looks awesome, too. Uh, and I played a can to um, respectful, uh, mostly positive reception, and, um, you know, I'm on board. I'm, it just looks like a lot of fun, and, and I'm all about, you know, I'm all about Westerns, particularly postmodern Westerns, like this seems to be, so I'm, I'm into it. The next week, Corey, November 14th, movies equal in prestige and tone. You have Bennett Miller's new movie, Foxcatcher, with Steve Carell, Channing Tatum, and Mark Ruffalo, which is poised to be a major contender at the Oscars. And then you've got Dumb and Dumber 2 from the Fairley Brothers, reuniting Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. Out of those two, which do you see going the distance this awards season? <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd probably have to say Foxcatcher. Not that I'm not almost as excited for the Dumb and Dumber sequel, uh, though it does follow 20 years after the original, 
and Lord knows comedy sequels have enough trouble as it is without having to follow the original decades later. So again, that's cautious optimism, but you know, sort of despite the track record of the Farrelly's of late and despite the track record of Jim Carrey of late, I find myself kind of caught up in it a little bit. I don't know if that's kind of embarrassing to say, but but Dumb and Dumber is one of those movies. But I'm sure you as well watched quite a bit as as a young person, and uh, it's kind of hard not to feel just twinges of nostalgia and excitement looking back on that film and, and the possibility of revisiting those characters. Yeah, it's amazing that we're looking at 20 years since Dumb and Dumber came out. More than that, I guess, at this point. I love that movie. Like most people our age, as ridiculous as it is, it's one of the funniest movies ever made. And I love the Farrelly Brothers, too. And, and I have to admit that there are very few Farrelly Brother movies that I don't like, actually. And I know that it's easy to point out their faults and, and call them as stupid as anything. And, and maybe they are, but they're enjoyable. They're at least fun every single time. There's really only one Farrelly Brothers movie that I'm not too crazy about. It doesn't it doesn't come to mind right now. I was disappointed in me, myself, and Irene. I guess it was Hall Pass that I wasn't too fond of, but everything oh, else... that's a bad movie. Yeah, everything else, though, really, they have their... I even like the Three Stooges movie, okay? But everything else is a lot of fun, and to get these guys back together, it's a big deal for big fans, and on the surface, it's great that they're doing this, but I've got to admit, the trailers look bad. They look really bad, actually, and, and neither of the actors, even Jim Carrey, look like they're even close to form from 1994, but 20 years later, it's hard to expect that. But I think just out of sheer sentimentality, I will be there opening day <laughs> to see Dumb and Dumber 2. So they've got my full support, even though I feel like I'm seeing with clear glasses on here, Corey, that it's not going to go as well as it did the first time, not that we should have expected it to. So... Moving on to the next week, you've got The Hunger Games, Mockingjay, Part 1, obviously starring Jennifer Lawrence and Woody Harrelson in one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's final film roles here, and we'll see how that goes for him. I know there are going to be a lot of people who just want to see the guy work for the last time, and there are a lot of fans of this series who I know are going to make this movie a lot of money even though it, I'm sure it largely serves as a transition into the final film. But it has its following, and, and for the most part, deservedly so. I've liked the first two Hunger Games movies. And that same week, Corey, you've got The Imitation Game, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, which most people might consider Oscar bait, but based on the trailers and what I've heard about it, it sounds like it deserves it, or looks like it does anyway. I think it looks good. So out of these two, are you excited about one more than the other, or, or are you going to see both? I'm actually fairly excited for both. You know, I agree with you on the Hunger Games films. Um, I actually thought the second one was, was an improvement over the first one, visually and, and stylistically. So um, to see it continue along those lines should be pretty exciting. You know, it's got a great cast, an Oscar-winning cast, of course, and adding Julianne Moore in a, in a larger ensemble to the mix. In this film, well, what's not to be excited for? But the Imitation Game, I agree, does also look quite good. Everybody's sort of Benedict Cumberbatch crazy these days, but it looks like he finally has an opportunity to sort of back that up in a leading role in a major film. And by all accounts, he does do that considerably. Corey, I don't know how much more you know about this movie Wild beyond Reese Witherspoon wears a backpack in it. That's about it. Yeah, I know that it's based on a popular book, but people are calling this another opportunity for Reese Witherspoon to sort of reestablish herself as a leading lady in Hollywood and, and to get back into the Oscar race after having won one in 2005 for Best Actress for Walk the Line. But that will be out. December 5th from Fox Searchlight and the following week Ridley Scott's movie Exodus colon Gods and Kings starring Christian Bale and Joel Edgerton as brothers Moses and Ramses respectively will be out December 12th from Fox so this one looks like a CGI nightmare to me Corey and we've talked about this a little bit but you're a big Ridley Scott fan so are you there day one? Tentatively and reluctantly but I might be. CGI Daniel is a good way to put it but I must confess I found myself caught up in some of the imagery in that trailer but Ridley Scott you know he can compose a frame whether or not he can create a compelling drama uh, to go along with those compositions well it's hit or miss sometimes with him. This probably looks more like a miss to be honest but, you know, last time he really tried to do something on the scale with Kingdom of Heaven, that movie 
is actually kind of underrated, particularly in its director's cut format. The theatrical cut, honestly, isn't much to look at, but the director's cut is really something special. And, you know, if this one's half as good as that, then it might be kind of worthwhile. I, you know, I don't know, but I'll see it. And I'll see it on the biggest, loudest screen possible because that's kind of what you have to do with Ridley Scott. On that same screen, Corey, I know we're all going to be eager to see the final installment of Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy coming out December 12th. And you and I and a handful of others seem to be much bigger fans of this trilogy than most people out there. Even though these movies are making a lot of money, they have their very, very loud critics and and folks who were on board with the Lord of the Rings series who just haven't latched on this time, even though I personally feel like he's thrown us right back into that world and imagination that led to that first Lord of the Rings trilogy. So are you as pumped about this Hobbit movie as you were when we were closing out the Lord of the Rings trilogy with Return of the King almost 10 years ago? I'm not. I'm not as excited as that, but it, it's kind of hard to... I don't think I'll ever be as excited for anything else ever again as I was for The Return of the King. You know, coming off of the second Hobbit film, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug, that's a film I got a lot of problems with, and even more so in The Passing of Time. I like the first Hobbit film quite a bit. The second one, though, a continuation of the story, just feels like it has more of those middle film and a trilogy problems that people generally level at movies like that that weren't true of for example, the two towers, but are definitely true of this one. Just very little narrative momentum, episodic structure. But it all comes to a conclusion with this third film, which uh, looks pretty awesome, promises to actually bring to a close the subplots and major plots and the story of Bilbo Baggins and, and these dwarves. He is accompanied uh, in grand fashion, and, and I'm always in Peter Jackson's corner. The lovely bones almost knocked me out of it completely. So, yeah, I, I'm still on board for this. I'm certainly a lot more excited for it than a lot of people seem to be but not as much as The Lord of the Rings, because these movies will not match up to those, as far as I'm concerned, in most every fashion. If it's a quiet night out at the beach and your ex-old lady suddenly out of nowhere shows up with a story about her current billionaire land developer boyfriend and his wife and her boyfriend and a plot to kidnap the billionaire and throw him in a loony bin... I need your help, Doc. Maybe you should just look the other way. But if you're Doc, it may all start to get a little peculiar after that. Michael Z. Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. Has vanished. So wh where would I uh, find him? He's technically Jewish, but wants to be a Nazi. And a girl don't necessarily want to get into difficulties with those folks. Get a spare picture I can borrow. Ah! Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you're better off with the Nazis. Whoa. Are you all right? Am I? Are you? Ordinarily, we're the ones asking the questions. And your question is, which side am I on? Good question. Wrong answer. So, Corey, that same weekend, even though it likely will not be in Alabama on December 12th, Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie, Inherent Vice, based on Thomas Pynchon's novel of the same name, it finally has a trailer. Yesterday, last night, it dropped, and... I mean, it seemed like Twitter was a buzz as soon as that happened, and there are a lot of people who are jacked about this. They were before they saw any footage, but now that you've had a day to sleep on it and rewatch this trailer over and over and over, as I'm sure that you've done since it arrived, what do you think? Are you pumped? Oh, yeah. I mean, how great does this look? It's just, I love There Will Be Blood, and I, I have come to love The Master, even though I somewhat regrettably didn't immediately. That movie took a, a viewing or two extra to sink in as, as the masterpiece that I now think it is. Those movies pretty indisputably very heavy, very somber work. And to see Anderson not only sort of reconnect with that playful, side of his that uh, was so evident in his first films, but also to embrace an out-and-out -out silly comedy to a degree that he hasn't since 2002's Punch Drunk Love. I mean, what's not to like? The cast looks fun. They look funny. They look like they're wearing a bunch of silly costumes, and Joaquin Phoenix's facial hair alone is, is worth seeing this film for, I would think. But, uh, you know, the trailer is just extremely exciting. 
so yeah, I'm, I'm very much on board. Not that I wasn't anyway, like you said, but I'm very much on board after seeing the trailer, and I can't wait to see this film. Me neither. It's easily my number one most anticipated, and it was before I saw a trailer just because it's Paul Thomas Anderson. He's my personal favorite filmmaker right now and has been for some time now. I love all of his movies, and I can't wait for the next one whenever it comes out, and I'm glad we didn't have to wait too long for this one. And I know that he was writing this, according to a New York Times article recently published, about the same time he was writing The Master. So it'll be interesting to see if that state of mind sort of trickles into this movie coming from the master of movie that at this point we both love very much and is always fun to revisit. I was watching There Will Be Blood today on Netflix. I just happened to just want to watch it and see that it was available still. And and I, I can't stop revisiting this guy's movies. And this one just looks like a total trip. And I'm sure that's designed that way. And I'm excited that he's working with Joaquin Phoenix again, who gave one of the all-timer greatest performances in the last couple of decades in The Master. And, you know, this one, obviously, like everybody is saying, you see shades of The Big Lebowski. You see shades of one of Paul Thomas Anderson's favorite filmmakers, Robert Altman, maybe hearkening back to The Long Goodbye, another similar sort of gumshoe approach to filmmaking that Anderson seems, it seems like the rabbit hole he's going down here. But it seems like there's a lot going on in this movie. Again, this is a book that I have not read yet. And I, I won't before I see this movie, but I know that Pynchon has his fans. And what's interesting about this trailer, Corey, is that the website that is obviously dedicated to giving you as much Paul Thomas Anderson news as possible, Cigarettes and Red Vines online, I believe it's Sigs and Red Vines on Twitter, they noted that Paul Thomas Anderson did not edit this trailer. He didn't do it personally like he has with, if not all of his films, his past several. And you sort of can tell it doesn't have that similar touch that the last few have. But even though that's not true, it doesn't shade my anticipation for this. It, it only grows you know, with each bit of information I find out about it. So December 12th is when it's listed to release. I know it's playing at the New York Film Festival and people are jacked about that, but you know, whenever we get to see this thing, we get to see it. And until then, we'll just get wrapped up in these other movies. But the following week, Corey, I, I, don't, I don't know that what kind of impact it's going to make necessarily, but you've got this movie, The Gambler, starring Mark Wahlberg. And, you know, it's interesting to note that it is directed by Rupert Wyatt. And that's a name that people will recognize from Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the film that he directed. And I was surprised when he wasn't brought back on board to direct Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Obviously, that went to Matt Reeves and it turned out great. But I was certainly, you know, disappointed to know that Wyatt wouldn't be back, but eager to find out what his next movie would be. I did not know that it was going to be a remake of this 1974 movie that I believe starred James Caan, a movie that I have not seen. But this one co-stars Brie Larson, Michael K. Williams, Jessica Lange. It's written by William Monaghan, who wrote The Departed. So, again, I don't know how good it's going to be. You know, I haven't seen any footage. I haven't seen any photos of it. But it's Rupert Wyatt, so that's worth noting, right? Yeah, you know, just the pedigree alone seems to be worth checking out. I don't think there has been a trailer released for this. I don't think there are any official photos out there. It's it's very mysterious for a movie that's coming out in just about two and a half months, but in due time, I'm sure people will actually see it and uh, talk about it. And, you know, we'll see if it measures up for ourselves eventually. Mr. Rappaport, I'm Agent Lacey with Central Intelligence. You two are going to be in a room alone with Kim. We got the interview! The CIA would love it if you could take him out. Hmm? Take him out. Like for drinks? Like to dinner? Take him out in the town? No, uh, take him out. You want us to kill the leader of North Korea? Yes. Christmas Day, Corey, there's a lot going on. At least there's a lot scheduled to go on, and a lot of things could change between now and then. But let's just go down the list of what is scheduled to release on December 25th. You have Clint Eastwood's new movie American Sniper starring Bradley Cooper. You have Tim Burton's new movie Big Eyes starring Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz, which has a trailer. You've got Hot Tub Time Machine 2, which I know everybody's excited about. You've got the Seth Rogen, James Franco comedy, The Interview, Rob Marshall's Into the Woods, starring Meryl Streep and a host of others, Selma, the movie based on the civil rights movement and the actions of Martin Luther King Jr. in Alabama, something that is obviously close to us in our state. And then you've got the Angelina Jolie sophomore directorial effort, Unbroken, the pretty amazing true story, World War II story, that certainly looks 
the part, but we'll see if it can deliver. So out of those, what, seven or eight movies, Corey, which one tops the list for you? Well, I'll give you a top three because it's kind of hard to settle with just one. Sure. The limited release offering Selma, just because of local interest, like you said, and, and that film was obviously, it was shot at least in part in Selma and Montgomery, so that's got some local resonance, but it also, it's a damn good story and it looks to be translated faithfully and respectfully and dramatically, interestingly, by director Ava DuVernay, so looking forward to that. And then, of course, because I'm a sucker for grand-scale epics, Unbroken, that seems like a must-see and seems like a major contender. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie, the interview, which looks dark and subversive in uh, a lot of really interesting, hilarious ways. Yeah, for sure. My only worry with the interview and the rest of these Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg comedies, the, I guess, magic, the effect that these movies have as soon as you see them, it seems to wear off shortly after. I mean, they feel like these just amazing comedies that make you laugh from beginning to end as you're watching them, and you consider them you know, great modern comedies, especially This is the End, which was a really, really funny movie. But going back and revisiting that movie and thinking about it, several months later, or almost a year later, it, it just doesn't really hold up for me. You know, I've got to say the same thing about several movies those guys have been involved with, whether it's Knocked Up, Pineapple Express, or these other movies that these guys have written. The only thing that has really stood the test of time for me from these guys has been the movie Evan Goldberg co-wrote, Goon, from 2011. So I can't wait for this because, you know, I think Seth Rogen is one of the funniest people alive right now, and he's extremely talented, and I loved, obviously, Neighbors from this year, and it's always fun when he works with James Franco, and I was a big fan of This Is the end and I'll be there for this movie but I wonder if those movies have a similar effect on you do they have the staying power or does it do they lose that that traction as as the years or months go by you know that it's not like they you know really stick in my head all that long just because of the sheer volume of them these guys have you know two or three movies coming out a year even still and they've worked at that pace since I don't know the 40 year old Virgin in 2005 the whole Apatow crew but at the same time I find myself you know when I revisit these movies things like well like the movies you just mentioned or forgetting Sarah Marshall or uh super bad. You know, every time I revisit these movies, they don't lose any of their comic potency. So at least they've got that going for them. I mean, I think that the Pineapple Express is as funny as it was, the, you know, when I first saw it, even if they don't really linger in the mind as as much as, as a couple other movies might. I don't think they're any less funny for it, if, if that makes sense. You know, This is the End is a good example of that. That's a movie I've been kind of wanting to revisit, even if it's not a movie that sort of sticks with me. But this movie just looks so crazy and kind of provocative in, in ways that studio comedies haven't been of late, that, that maybe this is the one that bucks the trend for you. I don't know. Yeah, you know, in, it's hard to complain about movies that definitely made me laugh when I first saw them. I mean, I'm not saying they're not funny anymore necessarily. I just don't know that they age as well as, as some of the other great comedies uh, these days. And, and it, it's hard not to call them great comedies these days because they definitely are. I mean, anything that makes you laugh as hard as This Is The End does deserves a lot of credit. And it's hard to bash it in retrospect. And that's not what I'm doing. It's, it's really not because I think these guys are great and I can't wait to see the interview but among those others i'll see hot tub time machine Corey, i like the first one you know as long as rob cordry gets an opportunity to show what he's got i'm happy because i think that guy's hilarious i didn't see jersey boy i'm trying to justify getting excited about a clint eastwood directed movie these days considering <laughs> the slump that he's been in over the past few years but look it's clint eastwood it's a great true story and i'm not the biggest bradley cooper fan in the world but just based on this idea alone, I will see American Sniper. I'll see it too, eventually. But, you know, like you said, it's kind of hard to muster up the enthusiasm for Clint Eastwood when it's hard to tell if he's mustered up any enthusiasm for the filmmaking process as he's making them. Well, Corey, I think that about does it unless I've just completely missed something that, that you know of. Can you think of anything off the top of your head that we might have missed that we definitely should address? Excuse me, sir? I'm looking for a job. In fact, I've made up my mind to find a career that I can learn and grow into. Who am I? I'm a hard worker. I set high goals and I've been told that I'm persistent. Now I'm not fooling myself, sir. 
Having been raised with the self-esteem movement so popular in schools, I used to expect my needs to be considered. But I know that today's work culture no longer caters to the job loyalty that could be promised to earlier generations. What I believe, sir, is that good things come to those who work their asses off. And that good people, such as yourself, who reached the top of the mountain, didn't just fall there. My motto is, if you want to win the lottery, you have to make the money to buy a ticket. You have to make the money to buy a ticket. You have to make the money to buy a ticket! Yeah, off the top of my head, there's like one or two things. The first coming out on Halloween night, October 31st, uh, this new film from writer-director Dan Gilroy called Nightcrawler, uh, which looks like a satirical thriller about uh, tabloid journalists starring a frighteningly emaciated Jake Gyllenhaal. Great word on this out of the Toronto International Film Festival. And it actually looks pretty compelling, looks pretty interesting. Also getting limited release in October, so who knows when it'll open around here. The winner of several awards coming out of this year's Sundance Film Festival, Whiplash, starring Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons about an aspiring jazz drummer and the really frightening teacher who uh, sort of takes him under his wing. This looks really good. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for this, but it looks pretty compelling, and it looks like a very fascinating of artistic ambition gone awry. And then finally, a late acquisition from Toronto, a new film from one of the funniest guys alive whose film efforts have, generally speaking, been remarkably lackluster considering how talented he is. A film called Top Five from writer-director Chris Rock. This wasn't on my radar until it started garnering Annie Hall comparisons out of Toronto. Rock stars as a comic actor who is being interviewed by a journalist played by Rosario Dawson. It seems like a Woody Allen, Richard Linklater style thing. Uh, and considering it was bought in Toronto and is being released in theaters this year, seems to indicate that Paramount thinks they've got something special in their hands. So um, by all accounts, they do. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, for sure. And the movie Whiplash that you mentioned, it definitely looks interesting. And I'm not necessarily Miles Teller's biggest fan, but it looks like the most interesting thing he's done in a while for sure. And it looks like a showcase for a great actor like J.K. Simmons. So I can't wait to see what he can do. And, you know, Corey, I just want to ask you real quick, based on everything we've talked about so far, you know, we like to prognosticate about the Oscars from time to time. And I just want to know from you, what are one or two movies that you think will arrive at the finish line? I'm not asking you to predict a winner right now, but sight unseen, is there anything right now that you feel comfortable saying and based on any sort of buzz that you've read or noticed so far that you feel like will be there at the end? Well, history seems to indicate that just by virtue of winning the audience award at Toronto, the imitation game is going to be a major contender. And, you know, response seems to suggest that's going to be the case, too. And on top of that, we're very excited, you and I and all film fans, for new works from auteur directors like Inurito, like Nolan, like Fincher, movies that might be unusual in structure and in content, uh, and if not for all tastes. But I feel pretty confident in looking at something like Angelina Jolie's Unbroken and seeing it as potentially the heavy hitter that nobody's seen and nobody's talking about yet, because that's a remarkable true story. And by all accounts, she appears to have translated it faithfully and thrillingly and movingly to the big screen. If that one turns out as well as I think it's going to, that's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Okay, so you're taking the bait on those two. We'll see how they go. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about movies just on paper that strictly look like Oscar bait, those are two that I think would be at the top of the list. But sometimes those movies deliver. And it's, you know, obviously up to these movies to do that. But based on the trailers that we've seen so far, I think especially The Imitation Game looks like it will because of Benedict Cumberbatch's performance. And I'm really looking forward to it. But, I, you know, what I'm interested in is to see if a movie is weird looking 
and sounding as Birdman can find its way to that finish line and to see if a movie like Inherent Vice, which looks as wacky as ever from a guy like Paul Thomas Anderson, can sort of squirm its way into the competition and not weird enough people out to count it out completely. I'm not saying that it's going to. I'm just interested to see if it can. And what I think is interesting is not too many people seem to be talking about Interstellar as a movie that could contend towards the end of the year. And maybe it's not designed to do that, but you would think with Nolan and with recent Oscar winner and, and just all around just hot shot in the industry, Matthew McConaughey, that that prestige alone would sort of jettison it to the top of those lists. And I'm guessing Nolan is going to deliver with this movie. He always does. So I don't know. I think it's interesting that people seem not, not necessarily to be counting it out because I think it's you know got more to do with the fact that nobody has seen it yet. But I think once yeah. people see it, then you're going to find it there along with those other movies. It's kind of hard to say that, though, just because for whatever reason, despite finding amazing popular success, Nolan himself has not had a tremendous amount of Academy success. Uh, his only film to be nominated for Best Picture has been Inception. And sure, that's at least partially owing to a bias against superhero films with something like The Dark Knight. But, you know, maybe now that he's out of that realm of filmmaking and turning to epic, intelligent blockbuster fare again, as he did with Inception, maybe this will be the one to actually get him a, a director nomination at the very least. I just hope it's but good. It, I hope it's good enough yeah. to do that, you know, like yeah, aside from the too. Oscar stuff. And it's sad that he hasn't been included in that conversation and competition before, because I mean, his stuff is obviously deserving of that, but you know, maybe this will break the mold. Maybe it won't. You just hope that the movie itself, despite all the awards nonsense, you just hope the movie delivers and I have a feeling it will. But, you know, speaking of movies going the distance, being a part of the Oscar conversation, when everything's said and done, I have a feeling that a movie that's going to be lingering, a movie that's still going to be talked about when voters start voting, is a movie that we've already seen, is Richard Linklater's Boyhood. I mean, you got to think that's still going to be a major competitor just because of how unique it is. Yeah, Corey, because there's nothing else out there really that has catapulted itself as a strong contender at this point. I think Boyhood is probably the strongest thing going right now, and it's going to be up to something like The Imitation Game or Birdman or whatever to unseat it as the front runner. And I, I'm not saying that Boyhood is a shoe in to even get nominated for Best Picture, let alone win it, but. Based on what's come out so far, it seems like the most likely thing to be on these lists and in competition at the end of the year. And I'm sure a handful of these movies that we've just talked about are going to be the ones that it's competing against. But I think at this point, Corey, it's a little safer to say than it was that Boyhood is going to get a Best Picture nomination. Yeah, I think Fincher's about to blow the conversation up, though, oh. you know, this weekend. We're, we're within days of, of that movie making a pretty big splash, i got to hope. Hey, man, it's new Fincher week, so that alone is enough to get super pumped about and is a great way to kick off the fall movie season. I love what I've heard so far. I'm glad I've avoided spoilers, and to just keep avoiding it from a guy like you who's read the book, I'm going to hang up on you now. <laughs> All right. All right, Corey, appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. All right, catch us on Aspect Radio at aspectradioshow.com. Follow us on Twitter at Aspect Radio. Find us on Facebook at Aspect Radio. You can find us on iTunes as well. Read Corey's stuff at Tus205.com. Read mine at AL.com. And until next week, I'm Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. This is Aspect Radio. Thanks for listening.